The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Egin. I'm the host of the Unfiltered podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Alicia. Her passion is working with women as they navigate life's stressors and challenges. She truly enjoys sharing tools and strategies to help women break out of negative cycles to feel better as soon as possible. She works with clients to understand their life story and how that has created no longer useful patterns. She specializes in narcissistic abuse recovery. In today's episode, Dr. Alicia will share five different strategies that you can use to overcome the powerlessness that narcissistic abuse causes. Also, don't forget to check out the podcast notes for the free mini course about overcoming powerlessness. This course has practical exercises aligned with the five strategies presented by Dr. Alicia. If you want to deepen your understanding of the topic and seek practical exercises, this is for you. But now let's get into the interview with Dr. Alicia. Could you provide five actionable strategies for overcoming powerlessness? And for each strategy, could you walk us through how to implement it into our daily lives and explain the reason each strategy works? Okay, very good. Well, um, actually, before I just dive right into the five steps, I just wanted to bring up a couple points that I think are important before we even answer the question. Um you know, the first thing that struck me about this is, you know, we're looking at powerlessness um, through these five steps from the perspective of the person who is the recipient of the narcissistic uh, behaviors. And, uh, you know, over time, the person begins to feel powerless in the face of this. But I think it's also important to acknowledge that the narcissist also is feeling a great deal of powerlessness. And so really both parties are experiencing that feeling or having that perspective. Um, I think a good way to maybe think about that dynamic is imagine the narcissist is like a schoolyard bully, you know, really that person on the playground who's being tough with the other kids or rough with them is really feeling very badly about themselves has very low self-esteem, is feeling powerlessness, and then wants to make up for that by dominating another person in some way. So as we begin to talk about overcoming powerlessness as the recipient of that behavior, um, I think it's important to keep in mind that the goal is to try to reclaim power in a healthy way. You know, we don't want someone to inadvertently reclaim their power um, inadvertently or purposefully in a way that might be the same way the narcissist would do it in dominating someone else. So I know that might seem obvious, but um, this kind of ties into um, one of the steps I'll talk about later. But the other thing to look at here is, you know, what is powerlessness as a construct? Um, And, you know, to me, I think it almost has to be decided by the individual person. What does this mean to them? Um, How is it kind of uh, manifesting in their life specifically, but on the whole, you know, I do think it's, 
it's a feeling at the same time, you know, it's also a, it's a perspective, a state of mind, you know, believing you are powerless. Um, but I think in, with powerlessness, there's this, uh, there are these beliefs that, you know, you don't have a voice, you don't have a say in things, your opinion doesn't matter. You don't have the power to change a negative situation. You don't have the power to change the behaviors and comments of the narcissist. So, you know, really, you know, person's feeling quite stuck. Um, and so um, this can lead a person to feeling like their own life has become quite a, a mess with the narcissist in it. Um, and you might feel very low down and like, you don't know if you can get out of this situation. Um, so I think it's important, um, you know, to remember that even though you feel really low down, you're feeling very powerless, um, you do have control, maybe not of these external things, but you have control over internally um, your perspective, your mental perspective. So just to give one quick example, then I'll move on. Um, you know, it makes me think of one of my absolute favorite books, which is um, Man's Search for Meaning by Dr. Viktor Frankl. And um, he was a psychiatrist at kind of the turn of the century, last century, early 1900s, a uh, psychiatrist in Austria. He was arrested into concentration camps. And the first two thirds of the book, he talks about his um, experience in the camps. And so it's it's quite a heavy read. It's very detailed. He really paints this uh, despairing picture. But throughout that uh, autobiography, he peppers it at times with something positive, with talking about, gosh, you know, I looked up and this one day there's just this amazing you know, sunset and the colors in the sky. And he's speaking of this in the middle of this horrific situation. And so I think it's just such a great example that like, even if someone is in like the worst of human conditions, they can still shift their mindset if they choose. So I think it's very important when you're feeling so dis full of despair in relationships with narcissists to not give up hope that you can come out of that um, situation. So I think the first step is actually admitting you are powerless. Now, for anyone out there familiar with 12-step programs, you know, that's not my original idea. Um, but I think it applies to the situation. Um, you know, the first step is, you know, admitting we're powerless, our life has become unmanageable. And why do this? Why deliberately stop and say to yourself, yeah, I do feel powerless right now. Um, you're of course validating your feelings, which I think is crucial because certainly the narcissists in your life are not gonna help you in that endeavor. <laughs> so it's an important skill to learn to validate your own feelings. Um, but you're really uh, not so much admitting defeat, but kind of taking an honest assessment of where you are in that moment or where you've come to. Um, so you're kind of saying, wow, I guess I have lost my power. Uh, maybe I used to feel confident. Um, if 
you're in the situation of a child who's being raised by a narcissist, you may never have felt confident, but maybe you are just assessing, wow, I'm just getting lower and lower and lower. And this just feels awful. And I'm, I'm tired of it. So it's, it's kind of this necessary step to admit this. So you can break the denial of how bad the situation is. Um, so a lot of times when you say, okay, I'm, I'm, I really just had it. This is awful. I want the awfulness to end. It propels you into the moving forward and starting to take some actions to change how you're feeling. So admitting the powerlessness breaks the defense of denial. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the first step, admit you are powerless. And yeah, thank you. That makes a lot of sense. What is the second? I consider the next step to be kind of taking an inventory and assessment of your situation. So this is more actionable um, that I think it's something you could do through writing, through journaling, making a list, nothing formal. It's for you. Um, But, you know, putting to paper um, an assessment of where are you now? So you could ask yourself some specific questions like, how am I powerless? Um, in what ways have I lost my voice? Um, what does power mean to you? What would it look like if you regained your power? So I, again, I think there's kind of different scenarios depending on the narcissistic relationship we're talking about. I think for children of narcissists, uh, they probably never felt much power. And so to say, okay, how were you powerful before and how did you lose it doesn't exactly apply there. They probably never had it, but just watched it get worse and worse. Um, But, you know, for the ones who are maybe... Uh, didn't grow up with it, but in adulthood started to encounter uh, narcissists like um, through friendships, romantic relationships, the workplace. That's really, I think, even a little easier than the person who grew up with it um, because there may have been, you know, something bright before and, you know, this is a change and you can get back to where you were. The adult situation where you had it and lost it, you could also journal about what was it like before the narcissist? How did you feel then? What were you doing in your life? Like, how did you spend your time? Um, What helped you to feel confident then? Um, And then you can start remembering, you know, what you, what life was like and how do you regain it? Kind of like, um, was that the devil wears Prada movie and uh, she's working for the narcissistic boss. And it's like this question, how are you spending your time? Well, if you're at your boss's beck and call all hours of the night and running around, you know, trying to get all these things done and it interferes in your personal life, you can very clearly see, okay, the behavior has changed, you know, before this job and now during this job. And I want to get back to how life was before. I think for the child of a narcissist, you don't have that luxury. Um, And so instead, it might be important to, as you're thinking about, well, what does power look like to have to pull from outside 
models, you know, so um, maybe there are the parents of your friends or a mentor or from movies or television where you see someone um, or someone in the media kind of holding some kind of power that you admire. Uh, now, I don't mean, uh, you know, go go out and buy all their clothes and dress like them and become a clone. I'm not saying that, but can you look to them for just some ideas about, wow, when I see that person walk down the street, they really work, walk with confidence. How are they walking? How can I try to adapt some of that for myself, you know? So kind of trying to get ideas from outside of that family system where maybe you don't have that modeled for you. Why is this so effective when we are trying to overcome the powerlessness? Yes. Well, I think, again, it is important to be honest with yourself about where are you now? And then you have to also identify your goals for where you're trying to get to. You really need to have some some vision um, and, and this, in doing it in this way and writing things down, you know, and how I feel, how do I feel now? How do I want to feel? What am I doing now? What do I want to be doing? You're being very specific about your emotions, about the actions you want to take. Um, and so you're, you're giving yourself this roadmap of how to move forward and step into power for the first time or again. So I, I think it's important to be specific. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So the first strategy uh, in overcoming powerlessness was admit you're powerless. Second one, assess your situation. You, you gave great prompts um, to that help us to assess our situation. So what is the third one? Third one, I would say is understand it's not me, it's you. So in other words, understanding education. Um, I really, really think it's important for someone to educate themselves about narcissism. Um, there too, you could, and you know, maybe you could think back to when you didn't know anything about it to then learning about it. It's like a world of a difference. Um, it's very important to know what is this. Um, because you you can't kind of work through this problem with a specific problem without sort of understanding the nature of this uh, beast, if you will. Um, you know, obviously, there's a lot of great ways to do it. Uh, this podcast is an amazing resource. I think it's wonderful. This is out there. You've got many books. Um, now, you know, videos. Um going to therapy, you know, there's lots of different ways you can learn more about narcissism, but I think you have to really understand what you're dealing with because otherwise it's like so confusing for people and they're so dumbfounded about what is happening in these relationships and why this person is acting this way. And, and they're, you know, that's of course part of narcissism is kind of getting people sort of dizzy, you know, and confused about what is happening. Um, you know, that, that narcissist is not going to come up to you and say, okay, time out. Okay. Let's talk offline. Okay. So I'm a narcissist and I will lie and I will manipulate and I will do these things and you're going to feel like you're going nuts and it's not you, it's me. You know, like that day is never coming. They're not going to be the ones to come and explain their behaviors to you. They have no insight. 
So you have to really understand what is this problem I'm dealing with? It's, it's really, it's, it's huge. It's bigger than you, you know, and you need to know what is it. Um, and, and that's a good way, I think, to reclaim your power is to, uh, through education. I think there's a lot of power in education in general, but um, I think it's, it's important to, to know with this problem, it's generally not amenable to change. You know, and that's a huge lesson right there is beginning to say, oh, like, this is not a problem that's going to go away. And then it, it that realization then kind of opens options up for you where you can say, okay, this is the situation. And now what do I want to do about it? How do I want to handle this relationship going forward? Um, so you can... Um, develop more strategy for yourself and how you want to approach this problem once you get a good understanding of of what it is. Mm, thank you. Uh, I feel that there's so much information out there. So I just want to ask your opinion. Like when you think about recovering from or managing a romantic narcissistic relationship, does any your like kind of favorite book come to your mind when it comes to romantic? And then the same question for uh, when you are a child of a narcissistic parent, or if there is a book that in your opinion applies to both situations very well. Yeah, I do. I have a book picked out that's going to be part of step four. Okay, great. <laughs> that's for the parents, for the romantic relationship. One I, I often recommend is called the verbally abusive relationship. Now that's obviously speaking specifically about verbal abuse, but there are a lot of times I talk with people and they're experiencing that and they don't realize that that's what it is. It's not registering. Like there are parameters where we say this is healthy communication. This is not. And, and I think when people read it in black and white, they, their eyes open and they understand, oh, wow, this person's not talking to me in a kind way. If you have a partner that fits the bill for that, it doesn't necessarily mean they are a narcissist. But I think it's probably safe to say a narcissist is going to be kind of verbally abusive at times. I think we might all agree to that. So that's a book I really like to just put some perspective on the behavior. The narcissist is always going to tell you you're the problem and not take any ownership. And if you've been isolated, you're going to believe that. Um, so I think it can be very powerful for people when there's this outside source that does not know them at all. Um, and they, they hear it from this outside source, a podcast, a book, a YouTube video, a therapist, and they kind of go, oh, wait a minute. Like it's, it's not me, you know, they like, yes, I may do some things, but they have this serious issue. Uh, okay. It's, it shifts the perspective and it helps someone, um, look at things from a totally different angle than they had been. And it, it gives some validation you know, it's, it can be very powerful. I mean, I've seen it in people I work with too, where, you know, I might say, I think this is what you're dealing with. You know, I haven't met this other person. I'm basing this off what you're telling me, but based on what you're telling me, this is what it sounds like. Um, you know, and they'll kind of go, Oh, maybe. And then I'll say, well, check out this book as you know, to augment what we're doing. And they read in the book and they're like, Oh my gosh, it's me. So something very powerful 
and reading this book by this author who's never met you, never been in your relationship, but is describing it to a T that makes people really kind of shift and appreciate exactly what they're dealing with. Mm, okay. Yeah. Thank you. So just to sum it up again, uh, the first step in overcoming powerlessness was admit you are powerless. Second, assess your situation. Third, understand understanding and education. And then what is the fourth one? Right. So um, understanding what problematic behaviors you may have developed in order to cope with being in a narcissistic relationship or coming from a narcissistic family system. Um. You know, I think an important thing to remember about narcissists is that they usually come from other narcissists. It's passed down in family systems. You know, you have someone who abuses, then they abuse their child and down the line. And a lot of times people come to therapy and like, I want to break the cycle. I don't want this to continue, um, which is fantastic. But we have to recognize that, okay, so, you know, a, a person who's wounded goes on to wound. And so if we're coming from this family system where there's this history of wounds being passed down, um, you know, we may have had to um, kind of like modify our behavior to survive that situation. So starting with the um, narcissistic uh, situation of it, you know, being present in someone's childhood. So, you know, if you're being raised by this, this is, narcissism is modeled for you or you're subjected to um you know this this harsh uh childhood where it's very you know critical and demanding and you know erratic and chaotic and um driven by uh you know emotional uh, swings mood swings and things um you know you weren't really raised in this stable place unfortunately and so there may be ways in which, you know, some of these problematic behaviors have sort of splashed up on you, or you uh, may have learned to manipulate a little bit yourself just to survive. And it's understandable. But then as you grow, it doesn't serve you anymore. And this is a hard one. And this is a hard one. I think in the whole path of recovery from this, this is something that is further down the line i think there's a lot of of healing and understanding that has to be done first a lot of groundwork laid first because this is touchy to say oh gosh can you look at in what ways might you have picked up some unhealthy behaviors in this whole scenario that's that's hard that's hard but it is important it's it's healthy. It's a healthy level of functioning to be able to um, be comfortable in yourself and confident enough in yourself to stop and look within and say, okay, if I'm honestly looking at this, you know, where, where might I sometimes, um, you know, kind of go off, off the path I want to be on with my behaviors. So, you know, for example, you don't want to repeat narcissistic behaviors of like excessive attention seeking or invalidating others emotions putting them down or feeling you know you're more special than others and you don't need to wait in line at the store and 
Um, but you have a special situation, so you get to cut the line or you might struggle with um, empathy or being a little cold or distant, like, you know, in a narcissistic family system, it's, you don't, you don't trust the narcissist, you know, obviously you shouldn't. Um, but then that may have prepped you to then go out in the world and feel like, okay, well, people are on, all people are untrustworthy. I can't trust anyone. So I'm going to like pull everything inside and not let my emotions show, not allow myself to be vulnerable, maybe be a bit aloof or cold or distant. And, you know, as you're healing, that may not be the place you want to remain in emotionally as you go forward. Um, maybe it's important for you to, as you're uh, going forward and having your own family that you don't repeat the mistakes of, you know, uh, narcissistic extensions and um, recognize like your children are not representatives of you. <laughs> they are their own person. They have their own interests. They have their own talents and abilities and likes and dislikes and to just observe and honor it and encourage it. Um, you know, maybe you want to uh, watch how you are in your interpersonal interactions and not tell their people what to do or try not to take advantage of others. So these are just a few examples and there's like ways where it may be subtle and you are repeating some of these problematic behaviors without like it registering. And that's why I say you have to be in a good place where you feel pretty solid internally and can honestly look at it and go, well, I could do this a little better. And you see, you, you have to be solid before you can do this because otherwise you will just be too cruel to yourself and judge yourself too harshly. And you don't want that. You know, the purpose would not be uh, let me uh, look at myself. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I did this and that. Oh, I'm so awful and terrible. And let me like shame myself to death. Like, that's not the point, but it's just to, again, in, in the spirit of personal growth and not wanting to repeat behaviors or pass things along, kind of take this um, honest appraisal of, of yourself. And so for the, again, people in the, dynamic of having grown up with a narcissistic parent the book i love is uh well there's many but the one i i would say for this particular exercise is called children of the self-absorbed by uh, nina brown and um it's done really well it's presented very delicately there are great questionnaires and um, different exercises at the end of each chapter so it's just really really um great resource that I, I think would be really helpful. I think for the people who are maybe in the other camp of didn't grow up with it, but maybe get into relationships or workplace scenarios with narcissists, um, you know, it could still impact you too, where maybe you're not being your best self anymore. You've been worn down in those relationships and maybe there is behavior you've turned to, to survive that, um, it you know um you know, manipulating in some way or lying in some way not telling the whole story or triangulating a bit like you're just so fed up and like gossiping or something so there's ways you know it may um impact you and you might start developing some unhealthy behaviors and i think 
um, that's important to look at too. And, you know, is that the best way to handle that situation? What's a healthier way to go forward? Um, so um, I know that's like number four is the hardest one I would say like to present, but I think, um, I think it could be worth the effort, you know, when somebody's ready for it. Mm, how do you know when you are ready for it? How do you know you're solid enough to go there? I think if you um, have gotten to the place where you've done a lot of the emotional healing work and have a good understanding, you know, if now educate yourself, I think you need also some kind of mentor, advisor, if it's a 12-step, a sponsor, a therapist, I think you need somebody with you. I mean, I would recommend that <laughs> to anyone who's dealing with a narcissist, like don't, don't DIY this, you know, try to work with others, at least one other person who's your like, who can advise you, like, you're not advised, but walk with you one-to-one, -one, um, through your recovery. Um, but I think, you know, you'll know when you've kind of done a lot of the emotional healing and aren't so maybe raw and still confused, you know, you need to kind of be past the emotional distress and pretty well educated and feel uh, within yourself that you feel like, okay, I think I can take a look at this and it would be to my benefit. Sometimes you might be a little bit persuaded to um, look at these things. Like if maybe because things have gotten so difficult for you in the course of this, maybe you're starting to see some of your relationships are kind of fractured or challenging. Um, then that could be a signal to you like, Oh, maybe I need to stop and just look within and see um, why, why am I running up um, into problems with some of my relationships and what could I look at and maybe do differently. So, and again, I think this is like, addressing like maybe behaviors or traits, you know, I, I think if you're a full blown narcissist, you're not going to be interested in step four, you know, that's, you know, so I think, you know, even if you were raised by it and some, you know, not so great behaviors were picked up by you, the fact that you were like, okay, I want to improve myself and better myself and learn and gain insights and live life in a better way. Uh, you know, you're, you're probably not a full-blown narcissist, you know, you're just someone who wants to do better and kind of overcome some things that were not so great that you picked up. Yeah. Thank you for that. And um, so this step forth, yeah, I feel like this really is like, this is a difficult one. So what you have to look at, what problematic behaviors have you adopted? or picked up to just to cope with your situation. You also said like, you need to make sure that the emotional healing kind of has happened. Mm -hmm. Do you mean that you are like, you are not reactive anymore so much like all the time in this, like that, like mood swings that you are, something happens, you get triggered and, you know, flooded with negative emotions and you kind of have co basic coping skills with emotional distress. Is that what you mean? That's the emotional healing or is that is that something else? No, that's great. I think that's a, a really great way to um, be specific about it. Um, very well said. Um, and you bring up a good point about 
not being as uh, emotionally reactive because I think in the beginning when you don't understand narcissists and what they're doing and everything, you know, you take the bait, you take the bait every time. And, and then it leads to all this blow up and distress. And it's like, um, you know, I think in time as you do kind of heal and um, yes, can balance your own emotions and then, you've now educated yourself and you kind of see the tactics that they're using, then you kind of go, Oh, okay. I see. I see what you're doing there. And, and then you have strategies like where you're, you know, you're not going to take the bait anymore and are able to know how to navigate that. I think when you're in this, those places, like, yeah, you're in a, a much better position to then stop and like look within and, understand um you know i i'll i'll just add this maybe last point about it is um you know like for instance this process of kind of like kind of taking stock and looking within and seeing you know where the places were uh you know i could improve upon you know this is this is part of 12 step uh programs you know and it's it's not step one <laughs> It's, it's, you know, step four, but then it kind of like has other steps that follow. And so it's like, um, it is done after there's some groundwork. And from, from that perspective, it's groundwork in kind of some spiritual ideas or, you know, something where you've, you've grounded yourself and feel like you can have some kind of trust in something in this world and feel kind of anchored uh, in a more like maybe spiritual or soulful kind of way, my words, not theirs, you know, but, um, that's how I see it. Um, so there's some kind of grounding and, um, and, and again, there too, they're, they've got, you know, the system with sponsors, you know, you're doing this with someone, someone's there walking with you side by side as you go through this process. Um, and so I think that's important. Um, so yeah, there's some kind of, grounded foundation you know in place before you then do that really hard step of saying oh gosh where have I maybe made some mistakes along the way and what could I do differently you know I hope you are enjoying the episode so far. The fourth strategy that Dr. Alicia shared is a tough one and it's not a good idea to jump into this one before you feel solid enough in yourself and have robust enough self-esteem. Otherwise, as Dr. Alicia said, you will end up beating yourself up in your head over and over and over again. So, once you have become aware of the possible problematic behaviors you might have picked up to cope with narcissistic abuse and thought about ways you can address these and change them, I thought it might be helpful to share my tips on how to stay consistent and accountable in your journey of changing these problematic behaviors. So if you have solid coping skills, your sense of self is relatively stable and you have a robust support system. So for example, you are seeing a professional regularly or you have supportive friends, you can consider applying the following tips that I came up with that have helped me the most in my journey. And these are just things that have helped me, so they might not help you. 
but here are five tips to help you hold yourself accountable when trying to change problematic behavior. And my first tip here is to set clear and specific goals. So instead of broad statements like, I want to be better, set specific goals. For example, one goal I had to set with myself was, I will not shut down during a difficult conversation, but remain open and clear with my communication because shutting down and becoming easily defensive is one problematic behavior I must address. Um, And the tip number two I have here is daily journaling. So this has been helpful for me. I have an alarm on my phone that reminds me to do a 10-minute reflection two times a day, one around noon and one in the evening. And during this 10-minute journaling, I track my current mood and feelings and my behavior. Also, If I have a setback, instead of beating myself up for quote-unquote failing, I look at the situation from a distance and ask myself what went wrong, how I would have wanted to handle the situation, what caused me to behave in a way that I didn't want to, and what steps I can take to ensure that I don't do it again. We have to be self-compassionate with ourselves. Change is a process and there will be days when you fall short. So instead of beating yourself up, Practice self-compassion, understand what went wrong, and learn from it. My tip number three is visual reminders. So I have printed pictures and put them on my walls to remind me of my goal. And you could also use sticky notes or change the background of your phone, the background image of your phone. My fourth tip is to celebrate small wins. So when I take even a tiny step toward changing problematic behavior, I recognize and acknowledge this. So I say, great, Juliana, you took a step in the right direction. And I just say this uh, to my inside my head. And recognizing your small wins will boost your confidence and motivation, even just a little bit. And the tip number five is, and this is my last tip, and this is becoming aware of triggers. So I ask myself, what usually triggers my problematic behavior? And it could be a lack of self-care, poor poor eating, poor sleep, or having to interact with the toxic person. And all these might trigger the old problematic behavior patterns. Once I became aware of this, I could better stop myself and choose a healthy behavior instead of a problematic one. And if you can limit your exposure to the trigger altogether, so for example, it's an environment or a person, what helped me was to avoid these and limit my exposure exposure to them, especially when I was in the early stages of trying to change the behavior. And you don't need to avoid them forever, but at the beginning, when you're trying to change something, it's already hard and requires a lot of mental energy. So I thought that if I could make everything easier for me, I should. So I hope some of these tips are helpful for you in your own journey. And there is one more thing I want to say, and that is when trying to overcome powerlessness, this fourth strategy that Dr. Alicia shared with us, and this fourth strategy was about becoming aware of the problematic behaviors we might have developed to cope with narcissistic abuse. This is so effective and it is effective for many reasons. And firstly, recognizing that your behaviors were a reaction to the abuse can help you see them as external external from your core self and this differentiation can give you a sense of control allowing you to decide which behaviors you want to keep and which you want to change this understanding allows you to acknowledge that these behaviors weren't inherently you 
but rather adaptive responses to an unhealthy situation. And this is important in my opinion because if because at some point, for example, I just thought that the problematic behaviors that they are inherently me, like it's somehow a core aspect of myself, which made me believe and think that there is nothing I can do to change it. So that's why I think this is very important to kind of understand that it is not inherently you. It's just behavior patterns that, yeah, they might be deeply ingrained and deeply rooted, but there's still a lot that you can do in order to change them. And secondly, why this fourth strategy is so effective is because gaining knowledge and understanding about your situation and reactions gives you power. It moves you from a passive role, being subjected to abuse, to an active one, understanding, analyzing and deciding to make changes. And in a sense, knowledge provides power. So by understanding the behaviors you have developed in response to narcissistic abuse, you are taking a critical step in reclaiming your autonomy, self-worth and control over your life. Now let's get back to the interview with Dr. Alicia. In overcoming powerlessness, we have been talking about the first step, which was admit you are powerless, uh, then assessing your situation, understand, and then gaining understanding and education. And the fourth one was a like really tough one, like looking into what problematic behaviors you might have adopted to cope with your situation. So, what is the final? Okay. Well, I put this as the final, maybe it could be modified, but I, I put practicing assertiveness as the final, because I think with that, again, you can now do it at that point that you don't feel so low. You're not going to react like in a sort of narcissistic way of like, I feel low, but I'm going to like bully others to feel better. You know, you're more in this good place to practice that. Well, um, now I don't know that you have to wait till five to work on practicing assertiveness, but I think you'll be more skilled at it at that point. Um, I think um, it's important to also think about um, the, the idea of assertiveness, because a lot of times um, people struggle with it or want to um, like, I'll hear people tell me they don't, they don't want to be assertive because they don't want to um, like, like be tough on other people. I mean, to other people I'm like, well, no, 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 wait, <laughs> that you're thinking um, assertiveness is aggressiveness, you know, and that it is, it is absolutely not. Um, so I do think it's important to know that distinction, you know, aggressiveness or trying to avoid aggressiveness. So you're trying to avoid in like the verbally abusive relationship book, you know, I mean, that's more, like how narcissists can be very verbally aggressive, whether it's in tone, volume, words, you know, yelling, whatever. Um, that's not what we're going for. You know, something assertiveness is is quite different. It's, you know, where you are, assertiveness is where you are standing up for yourself, but without stepping on the toes of other people. Um, you're speaking up for yourself, but in a tactful way. Um, and, you know, I also want to acknowledge too, in this continuum, um, you know, we're also trying to avoid the other side of passiveness or passive aggressiveness. 
So, you know, so these are all communication styles and you could say there's passiveness, passive aggressiveness, assertiveness, and then aggressiveness. Um, and so obviously passiveness, we don't want, I mean, you're just kind of not saying no to people, just, you know, being walked all over. You're not expressing your wants, your needs. You're just, um, acquiescing to what everybody else wants. So that's not healthy for you. Um, if you continue with that, it, it is going to lead to your powerlessness and that's what we're trying to avoid. Passive aggressiveness isn't so much better. You're saying things, but not to the people directly, you know, to other people, triangulating, gossiping. You know, it's it's not a healthy way to go either. Um, you know, you might be communicating in this like roundabout way, hinting, not using direct communication, clear communication. So that that doesn't contribute to the health of any relationship or to your confidence you know um so really the target is that sweet spot with assertiveness where you know you can get up the nerve to come and say what you want what you don't want what you like what you don't like make it clear um but you're not you know being untackable you're not being aggressive you're not just letting things slide you know you're very clearly directly uh, communicating um, you know, I think you can slip into the like passive and passive aggressive ways with narcissistic relationships, um, you know, because you're just trying to avoid conflict or the wrath from the narcissist. So maybe you just let things go, but that just erodes your confidence. So I don't think that's the goal. I think it's it's just a sign. And again, maybe this could come before four. Could definitely come after step four. But you know, I think it's just an indicator that you've reclaimed your power in some way. It could be a simple way, like at the restaurant and saying like exactly what you want, or if there's a mistake, speaking up. It can be these simple ways. Um but, you know, it can be in more profound ways. And, you know, I think when you can comfortably and confidently, you know, assert yourself, it just lets you know you've kind of like arrived. So I think it is an indicator of like sort of your arrival back into a state of power. Mm, yeah, thank you. That was really interesting. And it so sounds like these other steps were a lot of kind of internal work and then it's kind of manifesting it outwards by becoming assertive mm -hmm. because you're kind of putting it out there in a in a way even like and it's i i heard like it's hard to be assertive if you don't kind of let's say you don't know your situation you don't know yourself you don't like what are you going to be assertive about if you don't know what you're feeling or or your values or like anything it's really hard to kind of kind of you know uh. become become assertive so just to kind of now that we have the whole picture so five strategies to overcoming powerlessness so 
you have uh, outlined outlined these great strategies. And the first one was admitting you are powerless. Second one was assessing your situation. Third one was on gaining understanding and education. Uh, fourth one was um, asking yourself and looking into what problematic behaviors you might have adopted to cope with the situation. And then the fi final one was like practicing assertiveness Thank you, Dr. Alicia Rosicki, so much for coming here today and sharing your knowledge and insight. It has been very, very helpful. So I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Oh, no, thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.